Hey, listen up, past, present, and future MyBookie players. During Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. MyBookie will give all your money back. It is a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. Crazy, right? It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. My bookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Do you find yourself wanting to bet on sports but have a lot of questions? Don't sweat it. My bookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process. And the best part is, if you join this Thanksgiving week coming up, you'll still have one last shot to take advantage of their incredible sign-up offer. Just log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code ZABE. MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar, and that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose. Root for your team this year, but get in on the action and hop on the gravy train with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. Today on the Zabecast, Colin Kaepernick's tryout rodeo is set for Saturday, but will he get a job offer he likes or any offer for that matter? My man Ron Thomas, Mr. I-Know-That-Guy, your favorite name dropper, drops in. We'll talk basketball, programs that cheat, and more. All that plus, it's not you. The world has truly gone stark raving mad. Your bonus super early morning edition of Gloriously Uncensored Me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Thursday, November 14, 2019. Thank you for downloading. Before we get to my man, Ron Thomas, and a lot of good stuff, including Kentucky getting stunned by Evansville. No chump of a program, oh, by the way, but still a huge upset, and especially to do it at Rupp early in the season when, of course, you know Kentucky basketball is at its most disorganized with its new crop of McDonald's All-Americans under Coach Cal, still a hell of an upset. And we'll talk to Ron Thomas, Mr. College Basketball Junkie, about that in just a second. So this Colin Kaepernick tryout, what a terrible idea this is. And as of this recording, it's still unclear as to just whose idea it is, whose bad idea, how it came about, what did Kaepernick's rep say? What did the league say? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's totally unprecedented. Oh, by the way, I, I can't recall another single player in which the league actively intervened to say, hey, we're going to facilitate a tryout so that all teams, if they want to, can be there. And of course, every team is going to make sure to be present because they don't want to be the team that looks like, well, we don't need a guy. Now, many teams, I'd say half the teams in the league should not be there because they really don't have a need for Kaepernick at this time. Uh, The other half, it wouldn't hurt to be there to take a look. But then again, what what is the point of this exactly? And who set it up and how they go about? I mean, this, this is not a good PR thing. Already the league is getting ripped. And already the league is being set up where if nobody signs him, they will just chalk this up as a empty publicity stunt that was meant to go, we'll see, we we gave him every chance to get back in the league and nobody wanted him. He just wasn't good enough. Yeah. Okay. You know, we're in the McCown zone, as I call it now. Uh, 16 NFL teams has had have had to use at least two quarterbacks. Three teams have already used three as starters. When I say used, I mean, actually, you know, that's where we are. Three have used uh, three quarterbacks already. And what is the McCown zone? Well, it's a little thing I made up. It's a little uh, saying I made up about when the league gets to the halfway point where every team is at least used to back up for a start at least once. Kind of like the Mendoza line when you are under 200 in baseball. 16 teams have had two quarterbacks who have started this year. 
Here are the teams. Miami with Josh Rosen and Ryan Fitzpatrick. The Jets with Sam Darnold and then briefly David Fales. Cincinnati with Ryan with uh, Andy Dalton and Ryan Finley. Pittsburgh with Big Ben, Mason Rudolph, Devlin Hodges, a.k.a. Ducky. Indianapolis with Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, and Brian Hoyer. Jacksonville with Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew II. Tennessee with Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill. Denver with Joe Flacco and Brandon Allen. Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes and Matt Moore. The Giants with Eli and Daniel Jones. Washington with Case, Colt, and now Dwayne Haskins. Chicago with Mitch Trubisky and Chase Daniel. Detroit with Matt Stafford and now Jeff Driscoll. Atlanta with Matt Ryan and Matt Schaub. He's still in the league? Yes, he is. Carolina with Cam Newton and then Kyle Allen. And New Orleans with Drew Brees and Teddy Bridgewater. And I believe there'll be at least a couple more teams that uh, come in after this. Of course, the McCown brothers, legendary journeyman backup QBs. Josh and uh, Luke McCown out of Jacksonville, Texas, believe it or not. Okay, so that's where we are with the quarterbacks in this league. And hell, I think a team like the Green Bay Packers, I know that would sound blasphemous. The Packers are dangerous. If Rodgers, God forbid, gets hurt for a couple of weeks, you need a guy who can get in there and not totally shit the bed. Find a way to win a couple of games. If it's a two or three or four week injury, kind of like Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. If you think Tim Boyle can be that guy who's currently the backup to Rodgers, okay. God help us if Rodgers goes down for three or four weeks. But I don't know how Kaepernick looks. And I don't know what his end game is. He says he wants to play in the league. Uh, something still tells me I don't believe it. But okay. Here is the best email, the alternate story on Colin Kaepernick, or maybe just the true story on Colin Kaepernick's career that few people talk about. And this is from my friend Crazy Jay, who is a diehard Niner fan. His moniker of Crazy Jay is appropriate because he, he is a crazy fanatic listener, and I appreciate him for it. He's always emailing me and sending me stuff at all times of the day and night, and that's fine. I love it. You can email me whenever. Email me as much as you want. I don't care. It's, it's cool. It's fine. I love the passion. I dig it. So Crazy Jay sends me the following, and it's a bit long, but it's worth every bit of it, and I want to read it to you. He writes to say, let me pass along a little knowledge about when the professional relationship between the Niners and Cap soured well in advance, oh, by the way, of his petulant, misguided, and irresponsible kneeling fiasco. And I'll do my best to keep it brief. I was an Alex Smither. <laughs> yeah, Smither. Not because I thought he was that, that he deserved to be number one, number one overall. To the contrary. Us Niner fans lost our collective shit when A.A. Ron was not drafted, he being from Cal, right in the area. We'd assumed he'd either go 1-1 or we would trade down a few spots and scoop him up in the early to middle of the first round. Nope. Obviously still pissed. That said, Alex had six offensive coordinators in six years. A shitty coaching carousel and ownership of Jed York dumb fuckery. That draft had a bunch of nobodies at quarterback. There were only two guys worth the shit that year. Nobody in the top ten needed a quarterback. And the faithful, meaning the Niner faithful, were convinced that we would have Rodgers as well as an offensive lineman. Anyhow, fast forward to Harbaugh time. Alex ended up being more than a serviceable game manager once he got the right coach. In the divisional playoff game versus the Saints, which I still watch annually, and I attended first row end zone, was the culmination of years of frustration, hard work, diligence, and patience without complaint by one Alex Smith. Yes, he was spectacular in that game, and that was a wild affair. Back and forth, up and down, score versus score. It was amazing. That game, writes Crazy Jay, was supposed to be Alex's and Vernon Davis's resounding career resurrection and redemption. Of course, the next game in the title game, Kyle Williams muffs two punts, the crusher in OT, filling in for the injured and fragile Ted Ginn Jr. And derp face Eli Manning went on to the Super Bowl, and we know both how that turned out. Nightmares to this day. Yes, I agree. Smith was firmly entrenched as a starter the following season, Despite all this, but after he got hurt, Harbaugh had the opportunity to insert his new Kaepernick toy. And Cap 
quote unquote, seized the job, a la your buddy Nanobubbles to the north. Smith then, when Smith became healthy, he just never played again. Kaepernick ended up destroying the Packers and became a phenomenon. The faithful, who understood how awesome our defense was at the time, were counting the rings. Well, fast forward to the bed shitting on first and goal against the Seahawks in the NFC title game. Yes, that was the one where Richard Sherman screamed, don't try me with a garbage receiver like Crabtree. Harbaugh that game, first and goal, had his toy throw on all four downs. Then the excruciating bed shittery against the Ravens win. Wait for it. Have you heard this before? First and goal, and Harbaugh had his toy throw it four times. Cap slowly regressed over the next few seasons, then fell off the cliff of suckitude. Defenses had figured him out. He was fucking around in the offseason, got all the bad press that came with it, if you recall. He lost the locker room, got benched by Jim Tom Sula for one Blaine Gabbert. Oh, the humiliation. And the rest is, unfortunately, history. The faithful, writes Crazy Jay, knew Kaepernick sucked. They knew that he had turned back into a pumpkin. The team was for shit, and he was pure shit. He lost his endorsements, he lost his status, and more importantly, he lost his way. Enter the petulant pile of shit we all know him to be today. Well, that's a bit harsh. I'm not going to sign on to that, but still. Enter the petulant child that we know him to be today. He was so pissed about his demotion and the crushing he was receiving from fans and haters alike on the newfangled Twittosphere. Afro, girlfriend, garbage press conferences justifying his childish antics, the socks, the newly discovered blackness, and on and on. His knee-taking was considered a joke at first and mostly directed at Niners brass. Preseason games taking a knee that nobody in the world gave two shits about, but then, oh boy. Everybody forgets that he lost his job because he sucked, Zabe. He sucked the suckiest suck that ever sucked a suck. It was a meritocratic demotion that he eventually spun into his heroic Nike payday. Everybody seems to think he walked out on the Niners when, in fact, his $13 million team option that spring was universally known to never, ever be picked up. That's a fair point. No one say, well, he turned down this offer. It was never going to be activated. The guy sucked. He lost his job. He cloaked himself in a fuck the color dream coat of social justice bullshit. And now he's getting the Goodell Jay-Z marriage of convenience treatment with his clown show of a workout. Three years. Three years. Not a word from Cap. Not a workout. Nothing. No interviews. No nothing. All he had to do was stop playing the faux martyr game and rally for a backup job and he would be good. The rest is history. Looking forward to any sports guys and gals out there to grill this league, all caps, as to why somebody whose actions caused such direct financial harm to the league has been granted such an unusual blessing. Other than that, hell of a game on Monday. And damn you, nanobubbles. That, my friends, is Crazy Jay. And that is why, despite the fact Crazy Jay sends me crazy emails at all times of the night and sends me crazy photos his headphones on, traveling the world, never underestimate. That is a brilliant summation, and I agree with 92% of it. Some of the harsher language, I can't endorse. Everything else, though, it's a fair assessment. We'll see what this tryout does. Probably nothing, but stay tuned. Hey, listen up, past, present, and future MyBookie players. During Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. MyBookie will give all your money back. It is a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. Crazy, right? It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. MyBookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today.
Do you find yourself wanting to bet on sports but have a lot of questions? Don't sweat it. My bookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process. And the best part is, if you join this Thanksgiving week coming up, you'll still have one last shot to take advantage of their incredible sign-up offer. Just log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code ZABE. MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar, and that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose. Root for your team this year, but get in on the action and hop on the gravy train with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. College basketball is upon us, and few people I know love it, live it, and relish it quite like Ron Thomas, the man who knows everybody. Hello. Ronnie! How we doing? Hi, I'm doing great. How you just doing? Gonna let, just going to let the music play here for a second. This is, of course, the Dave Matthews Band with... Uh, two-step. Two-step. There you go. Ron's yep. chosen walk-up music. Have you been to any good concerts lately? I know you uh, like to get out and about uh, and see people. You know what? I have. I went to... Oh, gosh. Where did I go? It's all right. You know what? No, yeah. You know, but it's funny you say that because I was in Frederick, Maryland yesterday. And I was had some business. And I looked up on a marquee of a very old theater in downtown Frederick, which for the listeners is a town that's way up in the northwest corner of maryland and it's a very historical town a lot of civil war history this and that and there's an old theater there called the mark or had and the marquee said ronnie Millsap, Ooh. november 16th and i came home to my wife and i said we're going to frederick on november 16th to see <laughs> ronnie Millsap." sure and uh she goes i said i've never listened to his music she goes you haven't and i knew she had and so anyway she said we have a gala that night we can't go to ah. but I like the concerts at the small venues. The last one I saw was, I saw Dave Mason and Hot Tuna at a little play at the Warner Theater. Hot Tuna, yeah, the Warner is a great place to go see a, a concert. Uh, yes, if I is. if I may, Ron, I'd like to give a little of your backstory. Uh, a number of people, of course, impressed that you know so many people. Uh, a small handful of them, uh, because they don't know you think you come off at a bit of a douchebag at times. And I had to tell him via email, I'm like, you don't know this guy. You got to trust me when Zabe vouches for somebody, I vouch for somebody. You got to get to know him. But some people, you know, because you had talked about all the events you were taking your kid to, they felt like you were like a silver spoon in your mouth. You are anything but. And people were asking, well, what do you do for a living? So am I free to tell them what you do for a living? Sure. You work for a company, which do you own it? Or I own the company, Medtrax. Medtrax. And what you do is you collect medical equipment from practices and hospitals that no longer need it because there is a better machine available. And then you resell it to various parties as your business. Right? Correct. The majority of it goes to overseas. Got it. I take orders from buyers overseas and we ship containers full of medical equipment. There was, uh, there was some Monty Python movie i think in which they joked about the machine that goes bing bing yes you... we've talked about this on the air <laughs> oh we have yeah. okay let's forget yeah. it. so ronnie collects the machines that go bing and you meet a lot of interesting people a lot of interesting practices and you built this company basically from scratch i remember when you were transitioning you were in the golf business that's when i first met you you were working at renditions golf club out there yep. in maryland and you were in the golf business you were in the xm XM satellite business. You helped launch XM back in the day, right? That's correct. Yep. And so you you, you said, you know what? I'm going to start this medical supply business, medical machine business, and you drive your ass all over God's creation in the DMV up to Baltimore and back, and you go collect. You get all sweaty and grimy. You help haul out these MRI machines. Well, not MRIs are too big. No, I do some of those. Yeah, I'm definitely not a silver spoon guy who's no. sitting there counting the money. I'm busting yeah. my ass. Right, exactly. And, and your uh, father, your father, who you call your father, actually was your adopted father, correct? Yeah, he raised me. He's my stepfather, stepfather but he raised yes. me. Stepfather yes. raised you, and that's and you come from Indiana, so you're you're well grounded. So, but now you you you're you're doing well, and of course you have the chance to take your son to various events, and you do. But I like the fact that you teach him about hey, not everybody's doing all this stuff, so make sure you appreciate it. 
Yes. Got and it. I even said on the last show that I'm not a rich guy. Um, well, people you know. would beg to differ. They're like, you have a season ticket plan for the Wizards? You're rich. Of course, yeah, yeah ridiculous. I know. I, know. Yeah. I, I hate. I'm that. not sitting courtside at, at Golden State or in, at the Staples Center. Right. I I hate counting other people's money. Yeah. I don't ever do that. You know what? Because you also don't know what other obligations people have. You take care of your uh, mother-in-law, and they're and my mother-in-law and father-in-law. They live with us, and uh, my mother-in-law has multiple sclerosis, and my father-in-law has Parkinson's. And so you my help wife, support them, uh, and they live with you. Yes, and my wife and my son and I, we live together, and uh, yeah, we're See, I'm the breadwinner, and we right. care for them, and it's a every day. It's yeah. See, people uh, don't know. People don't know yeah. the backstory. They know a little bit more about the backstory. Okay. Well, fuck them. <laughs> of course, exactly. That's what yeah, I say. There you That's go. What I say. You know what? I have had people over the years say, you know, I used to hate Jay. I used to hate Jayco, and now he's my favorite guy that you have on the on the Zabecast. And I said, good. I knew he'd grow on you. Like, I don't have anybody on that I don't know and say, this guy is worth talking to, and he's a good, solid guy. Some people didn't like the cut of Ronus's jib when I had him on outside of the Capitol Golf Gang. And I laughed at that because I said, you have no idea what an unbelievable dude Ronus is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Talk about the World Series. In fact, when I – and I, I'm not going to name drop. When I met <laughs> – Mr. Lerner, all the learners at the World Series celebration, and that's not because of who I, who I am. It's just because you of where I was. your way in. Yeah, I mentioned to them that I do the golf show with John Ronis, and they stopped, and they looked at me, and Mr. Lerner, you know, lost a leg yeah. recently. And uh, he said, oh, he's got me swinging with this one leg, you know, and he's one of our favorites. And, of course, John gets to sit in their seats and everything. And Sure. You know, so some of the people I know and meet, it's through affiliation. And a lot of what we've talked about recently has pertained to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And then my affiliation there, you know, I can't help but drop names well, or say yeah, things about right, that. Right. If you had a grandfather who was one of the sporting icons of a legendary event, you're going to have some connections. Yeah, when your grandfather wins the Indy 500, and that's not name dropping, that's just a fact. I can't control <laughs> right. that. In Indiana and in racing circles, you are called royalty. Now, sure. I didn't win the fucking race. No. Uh, but, you know, through that and and the the family, you know, between my uncles and my two grandfathers, 50 starts in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Again, not bragging. It's fact. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. So right. it's right, just so that's I'm sad. there and there I do you. that. You're out so. and about. You meet people. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, do I want to start with the Archie Miller audio from Indiana? Because I know that you obviously have deep ties and roots to Indiana basketball. Or should we talk about Evansville rolling into Kentucky and taking down number one and Coach Cal? Evansville is the top story. And it's the top story. It has a lot of layers to it. So if you want to ask me questions, go. No, layer them in. First of all, it's Walter McCarty who played – for the Wildcats, won a national championship. He's now the coach at Evansville, and he grew and he grew up in Indiana, in, in Evansville, Indiana. And people don't know a lot about Walter McCarty. He was on the '96 national championship team. He also made the three pointer that beat LSU. Uh, they were when they were down 31 in the second half, which is the largest comeback in in the second half NCAA game, and he. Uh, growing up in Evansville, he, you know, he played, he played a long time in the NBA, played for the Celtics. I think he might ended his career with them, but he played for five or six teams, but then he's been a coach and he's been an NBA coach since I think maybe 2003 or five, maybe. So this guy can coach and he was an NBA coach right up until last year. And, uh, he took the opening and the, the layers are really, so there's several layers here because Steve, that he has gone outside of the state of Indiana to recruit. Now, Evansville has historically been the kids who can't play at Purdue, the kids who can't play at Indiana, and the kids that don't go to Michigan State. You know, you you settle on on Notre Dame. You settle on Evansville. He's not settling (laughs) anymore. They're the fourth choice. But, man, super passionate basketball city, and they love their aces. Um, And it was a huge win. I mean, they were 25-point underdogs, even though they're a credible mid-major. They've played big schools before. So this was not – someone tried to make the comparison to um, 
what was the Hawaiian school that beat Georgetown that time? Chaminade. Chaminade, right? This is not, not Chaminade. Close. This is not, not Chaminade. Even yeah. close. Right, but as a 25-point underdog, it was a massive straight-up upset. And here's the question I'll pose to you. How come Duke never gets done like this? How come Duke never stubs their toe like Cal does at Kentucky as a high-ranked team in November? Uh, you know... Well, first of all, Kentucky does not should not be number one ranked. You know, they played that last little fine. tournament where they're they, five yes, or six. They, they shouldn't yes. be losing this game. No, Why? they shouldn't. And there, well, there's a lot of reasons. One, Duke is not going to lose at home to one of these teams because the officials are never going to allow that to happen. <laughs> all That's right. a fact. That's yeah. fact one. Uh, <laughs> um, and. Uh, I don't know, you know, early season teams that Duke plays, Duke sometimes plays like an army uh, and they'll play, oh gosh, maybe, I, I can't remember who they play at home, but they always are playing teams at home. It seems like they play them every year, but Evansville's a day. This is just one of those things that it's a, uh, a perfect storm, if you will, because McCarty's got these kids. And when this game was scheduled, uh, Walter McCarty was not the head coach. He didn't have these junior college transfers that he has. Right. He doesn't have the key. He's got kids from Brooklyn. He's got kids from Charlotte. <laughs> and in, got... in Evansville, Indiana, talk about being out of your element going from Brooklyn to Evansville. Totally. Totally. And Evansville, for people who don't know, is down at the very bottom of the state. So it's playing second fiddle to Louisville basketball. Right. Across the river there. Uh, but Evansville's a neat city. It's an up and coming city, but it is not a metropolis right. by any by the way, of the imagination. By the way, Duke's non conference home winning streak goes back to February of 2000. So, in other words, it is a streak that is actually older than many of the kids who are playing yeah. against Duke, which is yes. pretty fucking amazing. So, I didn't see the game, I saw the highlights, right? And I'm yeah. looking at, and I'm very unfamiliar right now with who's on Kentucky's team. I assume there are a bunch of McDonald's All Americans, right? Do they uh, have any... young guys? But he's got a couple older guys that came back. Okay, who are the guys that came back? I, I can't give you names. Okay, I'll, I'll look it up. Back. So okay. I'm I'm watching the highlights, and I don't know. It just looked like Kentucky was this team full of really skinny kids with baggy shorts that didn't look like they should be the number one team in the country. Maybe they're stud players. Like I couldn't pick out visually. Like okay, there's a stud, and there's a stud. They just look like, and, and maybe this is the shape of today's player coming out of the AAU ranks, that they're just lean jumping jacks that shoot and run, and there's not the typical prototype size and shape of players I was used to seeing with your number one teams. No, you're right. You're completely right. And a lot of the fundamentals that we're seeing today or the lack thereof come from the fact that these guys play so much AAU basketball and uh, the coaching, I'm not going to say the coaching isn't good, but it's really just throw the basketball, put Spotty. five guys out, give them the basketball and let them go. Right. Uh, ideally, they need two or three basketballs on those teams. But the other thing is, <laughs> right. and we're seeing this with some of the kids at Maryland, the Jalen Smith kid uh, sticks, as we call them. You know, these guys never had to learn how to box out. They never had to beef up because they're so long that they could just go up and over rebound guys. over right. guys. I mean, it's like literally jump straight up in the air without going over the back and put your arm out and grab the ball. Mm -hmm. So they never really had to learn how to rebound. And that's what killed Kentucky last night. I watched the second half. They got out-rebounded big oh, time. They just gave up too many offensive putbacks, yeah. too many offensive rebounds. Well, that's the thing so. about rebounding. I'll, I'll never forget as a kid playing youth basketball, one of my earliest coaches. I mean, we must have been 10 years old, 11, 12. He was teaching us how to box out, and I was like, really? Because he was like, get your ass into him. Push him back. And I'm like, is this even legal? But he was big <laughs> time. Yeah, he was big oh, time. He was big time into doing that. And it really helped That's out true. even as a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid because most of the other teams, they didn't block out. And yeah. that is a fundamental that never goes out of style. Yeah, I think the real story here is the fact that this guy, Walter McCarty, comes back and wins in his hometown against his home school. But, and I say that because now we've got Jawan Howard of Michigan. We've got Penny Hardaway, who I'm, whom I know we want to, you want to talk, talk about. We're going to talk about but, him next, yeah. Yeah, but we've got these guys going back to their schools – or their hometowns or what have you. And these guys played in the league for so long and they're so dialed in with the AAU program. There's no way that another coach 
without the ties of Walter McCarty is going to get these kids from these right. basketball academies in Charlotte and in and, and Brooklyn and all these different places. Right. Now the so. challenge for the Walter McCartys of the world is to keep kids from Brooklyn from getting loose in a small town where things can get a little <laughs> bit dull and boring. You know what I mean? A little Because you're, you're, yeah. you're horny-ass college kids looking for girls and having fun, and things can get wild, you know? Yeah, uh, by the way, true. on that 95-96 Kentucky team, Derek Anderson – Tony Delk, Walter McCarty, Ron Mercer, Nazi Muhammad, Mark Pope, Jeff Shepard, Wayne Turner, Antoine Walker. Yep. How good's that? That's fucking team right there. Yeah, it was. Big Patino. Time. Patino. Okay. I still, Patino can coach. I wish he were still coaching. I know. It's funny. Do you think he'll find a way to tunnel his way back into? Well, with all the shit that's going on now. Yeah, <laughs> right. Stuff exactly. That's going on now, it's... It's so it pales in comparison because right. some hookers, some strippers and hookers at a party. Big right. Deal. Right. You know what Patino's violations are going to look like as things march forward? They're going to look like John Cooper, not John Cooper. They look like uh, uh, who is the glasses guy at Ohio State football coach that had players trading jerseys for tattoos. And oh, uh, something else. The guy from Youngstown State. Yes. Uh, Jim uh, Tressler. Tressel. 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 Yeah, Tressel. Yeah. Tressel was run out of there on what at the oh, time yeah. seemed like, oh, my God. And since then, it's just something else. Let's move to Memphis. So uh, this uh, kid, James Wiseman, is the number one recruit in the country, and he is supposedly going to be the number one, number one pick in the draft. He, oh, by the way, had foul trouble and zero points last night against Oregon in the first half. And yep. consider me skeptical of, well, how good is he really if he can take a bagel in college in an entire half? <laughs> but okay, I'm, I'm sure he's a great talent. He'll go number one, number one, whatever. Bottom line is Memphis is saying, we're not going to sit him. Fuck you, NCAA. What are you going to do? And the line from Jerry Brewer, the columnist in the Washington Post, is great. It starts with, Memphis will see you in hell, NCAA, if it comes to that. Yep. The Tigers would rather defy than capitulate to an organization it no longer respects. Wow. Yeah, I read that article. I thought that was a well-written piece, and I don't usually read the Washington Post anymore. I can't get past the first page. But uh, <laughs> it's wink, wink. Right, right. Uh, well, the, I the, thought it was a great article. I didn't know the backstory, and when you sent me the topics, I knew a little bit about it, but when you sent me the topics to, of the show – uh, I researched and obviously read, and that's that. the article I came across. Look at, you, look at you doing your homework. Look at me well, with a little prep work. I tell you what, good know, team. Right? High five. <laughs> High five. Okay, good. So, uh, so yeah, so the basics is that uh, Penny Hardaway, when he was coaching in high school, paid uh, the family of uh, Mr. Wiseman uh, eleven grand to help relocate from Nashville to Memphis. What complicates it is that the NCAA deemed Hardaway a, a booster because he made a generous million-dollar donation to his alma mater, Memphis, uh, back in 2008. So that then murkied the waters. Also, they had initially cleared Wiseman to play, but then changed their mind. I'm not weighing in on the specifics of the case, because it could be total bullshit. Like, for example, all these kids that are transferring now, some of whom played games last year, there's a kid in Wisconsin who has not been cleared yet to, to play, and he played in exactly zero games last year, and the NCAA has given no justification for why that is. Yeah. So I'm not weighing in on the specifics of it, but as a general thought, Ron, the NCAA has never been weaker. They are on the run in the courts with these name, image, likeness cases that are spreading from state to state, and they recently came running back to the table going, well, maybe we can help with the whole nil rights thing. So what mm -hmm. happens to weak organizations? They start getting preyed on, like the kid who's getting bullied in school. And these universities, like Memphis, are finding their sort of spine and saying, fuck you, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to us? Because you know what? You've got bigger problems. Oh, and, I, yeah. and I think it's going to continue, Ron, until there's a major shakeup. Yeah, the NCAA is against the ropes. And what does a boxer do when he's a, his opponent is against the ropes? You Cover go him. on for the kill. Yeah, and and the thing about the Memphis thing, and I read that in the Washington Post, is how just vehemently the city is behind them, the oh, city yeah. of Memphis, the attorneys. Uh, I, I'm sorry, the politicians from Memphis, which I can only imagine what those guys are like. <laughs> That's right. But, and then you've got, of course, LeBron and the fellas chiming in. Oh, and, yeah. Um, well, Memphis I is just, a very, very black city, and there is obviously a racial component believed by many to be 
that the the white masters of the NCAA universe keeping the young black men from earning any money whatsoever in yep. this billion dollar enterprise and you can't fight perception perception's reality at least in the minds of those that believe that so I'm sure that's part of why Memphis has rallied around their team you know they're like yep. we don't have anything else here we got the Grizzlies but whatever now and they do love their basketball when Memphis was good and that's you know I I forgot when we were talking about Bill Self a couple weeks ago and the whole Kansas bullshit about a month ago, I guess that guy didn't win that national championship. Memphis lost that national championship. <laughs> Remember the right. foul showing down the rows of Der- or De- with Derek Rose. But, uh, you know, when Memphis hired Penny Hardaway, Anthony Penny, Penny Hardaway, they knew they, I mean, that was a fuck you right there to the NCAA. Because... Say, well, you just know that when you hire a guy who is such a, force in the aau world you are going to have the potential for this and they did it anyway because the guy had never coached of course he coached high school basketball but that wasn't even planned yeah um you, and, you know what i'm saying i and, mean he just when he was given this money he gave eleven thousand or whatever to help relocate then he gives a million he had no plans of being the head basketball coach right. at Memphis. And it seems like they're penalizing him for that. But Well, and let's the- not forget, Derek Rose cheated on his SAT to become eligible at Memphis yeah. when Coach Cal was there. And even though Memphis found no proof he cheated, most people are like, yeah, basically you did. The final four run, I think, got erased by the NCAA. So they've already had their dance with the organization, and they're pretty much like, fuck you. We're finally relevant again for the first time since Cal was yeah. here, and we got the number one, number one player. You think we're going to sit him and beg for forgiveness? Hell no. Right. And, you know, they were, they've had their run-ins with the NCAA a long time ago. If you remember, Dana Kirk, I believe, was the coach's oh. name. <laughs> Dana. Curly hair dude. And you know who played? Yeah, who played for him was Keith Lee. Do you remember Keith Lee? I think so, yes. White guy? No, it's just, yeah, no, black dude. Okay. I think that was his name, Keith Lee. But what a shit show that was. He got run out of town because, uh, I mean, it was equivalent to SMU almost, if I recall, in terms of their football troubles that yeah. they had there at, at Memphis. But uh, meanwhile, hey. I've got this for you uh, on the uh, on the Indiana front. And by the way, how do you think Archie Miller's doing? Uh, I don't. I'm not sold on him. Okay. I, I like this team better. They have a lot of talent, and there's a couple guys that are gone that I'm happy about. But mm-hmm. I watched the game last night. They they struggled in the first half against North Alabama, but they pulled away. But I don't know. You we'll you, you ran the old guy out of there. Well, he was awful. Now he's George's problem. Tom <laughs> Crean with Tom Crean set that program back Ron many, at, many, many years. Ron screamed he, at Tom been, Crean in his final game as head coach at Indiana as he walked out the tunnel at the Verizon Center in Washington Big Ten tournament two years ago, right? After he lost for the seventeenth time out of nine or eighteen out of twenty head to head meetings with Wisconsin. Yeah. He was two and eighteen, and I just <laughs> told right. him as he walked out, I You're said, the worst. you ruined the program. I just said, you ruined the program, which was a play on what he did to the Michigan head coach. Oh, uh, at the really? time when he confronted him on the court. Yeah. When he, who was a Kelvin Sampson. Disciple. Uh, so well, he's an, he's an assistant coach who got in trouble with the text messaging. Jeffrey Meyer was his name. And he went after him and said, I know what you did. You, you ruined this program, this and that. And it was just so out of line. And he had this wild, Harbaugh affiliated nuttiness to him because you know he's married <laughs> to right. their daughter. Exactly. Such a shit show. All right, here's Don't Archie Miller. Tell me what you think, Archie Miller. He got very salty after being asked about load management. Times. Durant only played four minutes today. Just due to load management, like coming back. Load from- management? What is that? Uh, coming back from injury, conditioning, like. Load management? Yes. Load management, is that, is that something like they got going on in like the NBA or something like that? Correct. yes. I think Doc Rivers got fined like $50,000 for like talking about load management. I don't think I should talk about load management, right? There's no load management in college basketball. You play every minute that you can play. And in Duran's case, I thought his minutes in the game were pretty good. I told him after the game he should have got a little bit more run there. But the way our team is built right now, you're going to have to find a way on the floor with your opportunities and cash in, and he'll do that. Load management. There you go. Load management, Archie Miller. I like that. You know, I think part of that's the first time I've heard that. I think part of his uh, his being bothered with that question was that some 
douchebag college student <laughs> asked it and he already he said the word like like four times you know and like uh, he sounds like a little dick and <laughs> you know what i'm saying i mean he's from probably the student newspaper and i told my son tonight when we were at dinner he said the word like six times in one sentence i said whoa oh yeah i said winston cut that shit out yeah. You, know, you I'm not, I don't want to listen to that. If you listen, there's a total epidemic and it's like like, like. I, I listen to I listen to Chris Childers and New Heisel and Childers says the word like over and over. And then I listen to Danny Cannell and or these guys are after and these guys they say like like they're a 14-year-old girl. It's bad. The other phrase I cannot stand is to be perfectly honest with you. Yes. If you say that to me, <laughs> I'm going to immediately say, yeah. so everything else is a lie. Yeah. This is hey, the I, truth. <laughs> everything else was a lie. Get I out. like that Archie Miller replied like that. Okay. I like it. All right, a little I bit do. of edge. Okay, uh, before we go, and we had a lot of topics that will just wash down the river because uh, I see the time on the, on the wall here. Uh, did you see the viral golf ball video that I sent you? Yes. Okay, for those that don't know, I don't know if the, it looked like it was Jordan Spieth, but it wasn't. Was it? It sure looks like him. Okay, I, I well, guess it isn't. Someone who wants to be him and swing like him if it isn't. All right, so it's somebody uh, in a wool, in a, in a cap, in like a ski cap. It was very cold. I think there was a little bit of snow on the ground. And they put a ball down, a golf ball down, on what looked like a concrete hallway of columns, square columns that lead down 100 yards along the ridge of some, I don't even know what it was. But they're concrete columns that are square that are about, say, 10 feet apart. And they hit this low punch shot that hooks left, hits the flat surface of one column, two columns in, Mm -hmm. ricochets back violently against the first column, then goes back ricocheting away from the golfer off the second bounce, hits the first column a second time, and because of spin or angles or who knows what, comes screaming off the second column and makes a beeline back for the camera, which looks like it's a cell phone, and dots the camera right in the eye at about Mach 4. It might be the greatest viral golf video I've ever seen. Oh, it's a good one. Like, hey, have to, you have you ever no, almost like had? That, I don't know what. Have you ever know, almost had I, that happen to you golfing, where you ricocheted one off a tree and you're like, oh shit, and it no, but buzzes no, the but, tower. No, but our turds, you know, the guys instead of the turps, where the turds, we've been playing to golf together for thirty years at Maryland. If you catch your own shot, you get to replay <laughs> it with for no penalty. So That's we've seen guys that have oh, it's great. Yeah, we've seen. Guys How many times does out. that happen? By the way, that you can catch uh, your happened, own shot. It's, it's happened probably three times in the history of the turds. Okay. Yeah, Aaron, guys laying out. And if you catch it and you, you know, that's Aaron, it. You, they make a funny comment like, I lie one or I lie zero. You know? Aaron Rodgers caught a penalty flag while on his back in the end zone last Sunday. And yeah. I said on Twitter, I said, in the NFL, if you catch a penalty flag before it hits the ground, if the penalty's on you, it's declined. That would be my rule. Be fun. I saw that. That, that, was a great, that was a great game, by the way. That was a great game. That was a great Monday game. night was a great game. Sunday yeah. night was a great game. We're heading into the meat of the NFL season. It's getting good. Well, and then the Kaepernick thing all of a sudden. So who knows what that's all about. Well, as of this taping, it still may not happen. It's starting to kind of fall apart. So stay yeah. tuned for that. Ron, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. You got it. Thanks, Steve. Go. Bye. All right. I've saved all the depressing stuff for the end or the stuff that just makes you insanely mad. And no, it's not you, it's not me. The world has indeed gone completely insane. Two stories. One, Northwestern student newspaper has apologized for covering a Jeff Sessions speech at the university. There were some protesters, of course, and the student newspaper covered the protests, which didn't turn into any real violence. And they cover the speech, and that should have been that. Hey, Jeff Sessions, uh, former attorney general for the uh, Trump administration, giving a speech. People don't like him, don't like Trump's policies. They want to show up and protest. Wonderful. Okay, speech happened. Here's what he said. Here's the protester side. Some pictures, some quotes. Bing, bang, boom, done. Reporting. 
Well, the student newspaper apologized, saying that they were sorry for re-traumatizing students with their reporting of the event, and that they had failed in their number one priority to make sure all students feel safe. And that was what they apologized for. They also apologized that some of their reporters looked up students in the directory, the you know, campus directory and contacted them asking if they'd be willing to give a quote because they had been participants in the protest. They said, oh, this is bad because we're, we're afraid they may be singled out. They even retroactively removed a student's name who was willing to give his name to the newspaper for a quote about the protest of the event. They said that it would possibly put the student in harm, in harm's way for retribution. This is all such unbelievable bullshit. It is simply basic reporting. And the notion that, well, sure, we want to report on and document history as it happens because that's what journalism is. Guess what? We, we want to make sure everyone feels safe. It is the biggest pile of mollycoddled bullshit you've ever heard. But then again, on campuses across America, it's also called something else. It's called Tuesday. This is the ruination of this country. And I'd like to say, well, it's only at certain hard left liberal colleges, places like Northwestern or Evergreen University, which famously had a big dust up a couple years ago. But guess what? This stuff never stays contained. Stupid metastasized, metastasizes. It leaps out of its boundary, out of its Petri dish, and it goes on to other parts of society. Corporations then start saying, well, we, we must also as well make sure people are not traumatized. Trauma. Holy shit. Somebody gave a speech and you're traumatized. It really makes you wish for genuine trauma to be inflicted upon any of these snowflakes, proper usage of the word, that claim they were traumatized. Give them something real to go, fuck, okay, now that's bad. That's really, really bad. I mean, do we need another 9-11? Nobody wants it. Do we need another world war? Nobody wants it. What the hell is going to toughen us up as a society? I have no idea. So at least the dean of the Medill School of Journalism, one of the gold-plated, absolute beacons of journalism, so many sports writers and media members, proud Northwestern graduates, of the Medill School, at least the dean of the Medill School came out strongly saying, this is bullshit. The student paper should not apologize. They were simply reporting on something, and this is a threat to journalism. Well, good, but what's going to happen? Everyone involved in that decision, everyone on that editorial board that wrote that editorial for the paper should be fired. They should be kicked off the newspaper, and if possible, kick them out of J school. They don't get it. And I say that not to be punitive, not to say, oh, let's get back at them. No, I say that because they're hopeless. They can't be trusted to understand what basic journalism is. But then again, look at the day and age we're living in, as if there's real, neutral, honest-to-goodness journalism going on right now. It's not. It's partisan. On both sides. There's some outlets that are kind of in the middle, but they all have their templates, their agendas, their biases. But this is just something else. The students were traumatized, and then reporting on it, we re-traumatized them. Go fuck yourself. And this generation is going to run the world, huh? They're going to be my boss and your boss, the older generation? Please, God, I hope not. And then there's this. (laughs) Ellie Golding, singer has threatened to cancel her appearance at the Cowboys' Thanksgiving Day game because of the Salvation Army. What happened? Well, after an Instagram post made by Ms. Golding saying she was excited to be singing and helping support the Salvation Army, which has provided millions and millions of dollars of donations and aid to those in need, she was told by some woke scolds on the internet, oh yeah, Salvation Army. They're anti-LGBTQ, plus, minus, divided sign, whatever. And so she suddenly became woke after saying how excited she was. 
She then said, upon researching this, I have reached out to the Salvation Army and said that I would have no choice but to pull out unless they very quickly made a solid committed pledge or donation to the LGBTQ community. Go fuck yourself, Ellie Golding, and everybody like you. $2.4 billion since 1997 with the Red Kettle kickoff. Uh, No big deal. And they've spread that money out to all kinds of people, many of whom were undoubtedly LG or B or T or Q or plus or whatever. But yeah, go believe whatever woke trend, whatever research on the internet says that the Salvation fucking army, pardon my French, is evil and that you are demanding that they make a monetary pledge to prove themselves to you. Fuck off and your shitty music and just go away. And I say that on behalf of sensible America. You're welcome. That'll do it for me today. Thank you so much for listening. Tomorrow, it is another Football Five Ways Friday. We are going to put this league on lock. It's week 11. By now, we know what's going to happen, right? We know what the league does. Me and Mr. X make our picks, charge with his fantasy advice. You are looking live, all the games, all the angles, college football, as well as Paul Troth, our quarterback whisperer, uh, the camp counselor and coach at the Elite 11 Quarterback Academy and a guy who played at East Carolina, so he knows a thing or two about the position. We'll talk about the quarterbacking situation in the NFL since we are into the McCown zone where at least half the teams in the league have gone to a backup. That's tomorrow. It's yours for just a mere $5 a month. What a bargain. $1.33 and change or something like that per week. Uh, don't quote me on it. I know you can afford it. If you do, sign up. I do appreciate it. Go to Zabe.com to find out more or sign up for it through your Libsyn app for this, the Zabecast. Have a great Thursday. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Hey, listen up, past, present, and future MyBookie players. During Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. MyBookie will give all your money back. It is a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. Crazy, right? It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. MyBookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Do you find yourself wanting to bet on sports but have a lot of questions? Don't sweat it. MyBookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process. And the best part is, if you join this Thanksgiving week coming up, you'll still have one last shot to take advantage of their incredible sign-up offer. Just log on to MyBookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code ZABE. MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar, and that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply can't lose. Root for your team this year, but get in on the action and hop on the gravy train with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid.